All right, let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for bringing us all together to share our understanding of the Gospel of John, the Gospel of love. We ask your blessing on our efforts today and always so that we might understand what it is that you want us to get out of this to what you personally want each of us as individuals uh, to hear, not only with our ears, but with our mind and our heart. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and we praise you in all things in Jesus' name. As you probably are aware already, the Gospel of John is a great deal different than the Matthew, Mark, and Luke Gospels. And that doesn't mean that it's better, necessarily, but it is different. And what I want you to really get out of this class, or this whole session, is why is it different? And I want to spend some time on that, because it reflects how you are going to understand and absorb what John is giving us through the gospel. First of all, the gospel of John was written towards the end of the first century. If you think about it, there was a lot of persecution, there was a lot of changes made, uh, there was the whole development of Christianity, which began on the first Pentecost Sunday, 40 days after Christ's death and resurrection. And so, what happened between the year, let's say the year 30 or 33, and say the year 80 or 90? You see, in that 50 or 60 years, a great deal of change took place. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was probably the most significant change for the Jewish people. And it changed the whole uh, structure and the whole scene, you might say, of uh, Israel. And so that is reflected in the Gospel of John. Not so much the destruction and the terror, etc., that took place, but just the opposite. The love that John fostered throughout that time period, that is what is reflected in his gospel. Uh, the gospel of John is often called the gospel of love because that is the primary theme of it. Now, Many scholars, myself included, believe that the gospel was not actually written by John himself. In other words, he didn't sit down and actually scribe it out on parchment or whatever material was available at that time. Rather, after the persecutions began by the Jewish people not accepting those people who had turned to Christianity and still wanted to remain good Jews, because in the beginning, right after uh, 
Christ died and uh, the Holy Spirit was given to mankind on the first Pentecost Sunday, uh, there began this movement of Christianity into the Jewish people of that era and time. And they weren't told to shove Judaism aside. They were told, in a way, to supplement the Jewish faith with now that which was being brought to them through Christianity. Unfortunately, Christianity and Judaism could never meld into a single form of faith. We'll get into that later as to why. But you had this movement of Christianity wedging its way into the Jewish faith. And over a period of time, the Jewish people who remain faithful to their form of faith and the Jewish law began to resent it. And it was shown first by not allowing those who were Christians now or accepted Christianity to come into the temple. And later it got into a real shooting match, you might say, where persecutions were going on rampant. And by the year 66 AD, the Romans had had enough of that. And so the Romans came in to try to quell this persecution between this religious sect and that religious sect, the Jewish and the Christian. Well, the Romans only made things worse. And finally, after three and a half years, uh, in 70 AD, they said enough is enough, and they destroyed the whole city, including the temple. Now, the significance of in destroying the temple was to the Jewish people the greatest blow that they could possibly experience. The temple was to them the representation of God himself. In fact, the Holy of Holies was to the Jewish people the place where God resided. Unfortunately, for the Jewish people, that was the only place that God was, was in the temple and in the Holy of Holies within the temple. Now, the problem with that is they didn't care or they didn't think that God knew what was in their mind and heart when they were outside the temple. And that created a lot of problems. That caused them to think only in terms of the law, which was to them a physical or earthly type of thought and faith. But I don't want to get into all of that right away. What I want to try to get you to understand is the atmosphere in which this gospel was written. You remember at the cross, Jesus gave John his mother to protect and take care of 
in his absence. Obviously, he knew he was dying, and he wanted his mother to be protected. But in giving his mother to John, he also gave his mother to all mankind. And she then became not only the mother of God, but the mother of all the church, okay, all Christians. John then, and we don't know just exactly when, John then, because of the persecution, took his mother to, we believe, Ephesus. All right, Ephesus, which is in uh, the country of Turkey right now. And he formed a group of people who became dedicated Christians, both Jewish and people from other faiths or no faiths. All right, so it was those people who heard John, and because of the time period, and the fact that unlike the other apostles who were scattered off into all ends of the Roman Empire and beyond, John stayed close to his mother, to the mother of God, that is, and meditated on all of the things that Jesus taught and all of the things that he did. And in the process of meditation, I was going to say medication, in the process of meditation and prayer, he developed a much more uh, philosophical, uh, psychological, and Christological understanding of who Jesus was. And he obviously then shared that with the community that he was then living in. And it is believed that these people are the ones who finally put all of this information together to write the Gospel of John. And it makes sense because it does not follow the same pattern as the other three Gospels. Those start out Matthew and Luke starts out with Jesus being born and so forth, and it follows somewhat of a biographical and chronological order. John's gospel doesn't do that. It assumes that you already know the stories behind Jesus' birth and many of the chronological orders that the other gospels are in. So, John wants you to see Jesus in a different way. Now, let's set that aside for just a moment. John also wrote two very uh, beautiful letters and the book of Revelation. If you read those, and I'm not asking you to do so now unless you want to, but if you read those, you will see that John promotes the same idea in those works as well. To look at Christ in a different way. The book of Revelation, the the word revelation is singular. It's not talking about revelations as if there are a series of different things. 
It's talking about the revelation that is the looking at Christ in a different way. And that is what the Gospel of John is all about. His letters are the same way. And the tone is different. Uh, So, by reading the first two letters of John, you will see a more simplified tone than you will in the Gospel. And that is because it was not written by John himself, but by the people who heard all of these lectures, uh, sermons, homilies, whatever, over a long period of time. And after Paul's letters were written, and the other three Gospels were written, these people must have felt, well, look, we've got to put this together or this information will get lost. And so that is why this gospel wasn't written until towards the end of the first century. Um, There are so many little things in this gospel that are not in the others. For example... The gospel starts out not with who Jesus is, but who John the Baptist is. It starts out in a different way, uh, in the same way you might say that the book of Genesis starts out. As you all know, the book of Genesis is the story of creation and Adam and Eve and so forth in the very early days. John's Gospel starts out with exactly the same words as the book of Genesis. In the beginning. And what is he referring to in the beginning? He really wants to uh, bring into his teachings the whole idea that this is now a new beginning. Since the time of Christ, Christians now are looking at God's plan of salvation in a new way. And therefore, it is not the same kind of physical beginning that the book of Genesis promotes. It is a new beginning that now centers around your mind and your heart. All of the Old Testament was pretty much an earthbound type of uh, philosophy or ideology. It all talked about things that you do with your body rather than with your mind and your heart. Yes, obviously, mind and heart has to be there as well. But the New Testament, the difference between the Old and the New Testament is that the New Testament talks about the spirit, the spirit of mankind as well as the spirit of God. And that is what John is trying to promote here. Forget the idea of the importance of the body, but look at the importance of your mind and your heart. And that is one of the secrets, you might say, 
that we are going to be promoting. Now, the Gospel of John also, as I've said many times uh, throughout these classes, the New Testament is written on two levels, the spiritual level as well as the physical level. But the one thing I want to get very clear is that there are no secret codes or secret uh, things within this gospel or any of the New Testament. Okay? God does not play games like Hollywood does. It is true that you have to look at both the physical and the spiritual side. But there are no secret codes of any kind. And I'm not, you know, inferring or trying to promote that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, But we have to look at the spiritual side. And as we go through, I'll explain more of that. uh, Because sometimes it's so subtle you don't see it. And so I want to get into uh, chapter 1 and cover that uh, today as much as we can so that we can then move on. Uh, One of the things that we have to begin with in your handout if you turn to the back page This part of the back page. Now, for those people who have been in this class before, you probably got several copies of this, okay? But, everything that Jesus did, Everything that God did, either through Jesus or through the Old Testament, through the prophets or patriarchs or whatever, had some connection with this plan of salvation. The whole idea of mankind sinning and needing some way to resolve that sin before he could return to God in heaven at the end of life required a plan and that plan here is sort of illustrated in this form whereas the father starts out in creation and giving us the Old Testament and many many people down through the period of the Old Testament uh, as guides, you might say, to the Jewish people. But they went off to do their own thing. As we said in the last meeting of our last session, Terry didn't get mad and leave us. He has he has other work to do within the parish there. Yeah. So Barbara comes in to take his place. Okay. 
Nobody sneaks into this class here. God's plan of salvation is vitally important because nothing is done without God being part of it in some way. Okay. The Jewish people then, after God working with them for 2,000 years, down from Abraham uh, through Isaac and Jacob and Moses and King David and all of the prophets, etc., they still didn't get the message that God was there to love them and guide them back to himself at the end of time. They wanted to do things their way, and they were going to say, all right, Lord, we'll do anything you say, but we're going to do it our way. And so God left them. What I want you to do in your homework, I didn't put this in, uh, but I want you to read Psalm 81. Psalm 81. It is a short psalm, but it is very important to understand why Christianity could never meld into Judaism. And it wasn't that Christianity separated itself from Judaism. It's because Judaism got off of the track. All right? This is the track. And Judaism got off on of the track to do its own thing and has remained off the track. It's unfortunate. I'm not talking about the Jewish people. I'm talking about Judaism. All right? So, Christianity, through Jesus Christ, is back on track. Yeah, we've gotten off uh, here and there. That is, the church has gotten off here and there at times. But the whole idea is that we are back on track to eventually get ourselves into heaven through the church. And that is what this is all about. So give it some time. Think about it. If you have questions, um, we'll be glad to answer them. But the whole idea of the Gospel of John is that he wants, John wants you to see Jesus in a different way than just a man who happened to be God. This is, John's idea is, Jesus is God who came to earth for a specific reason. And it is that reason that we are trying to develop in our mind, in our heart, and understand so that we can follow him more closely. Now, within this same handout, you have a diagram... I believe it's sort of this little diagram here.
And I'm giving you this because most of you do not have the little books yet. But this is the first 18 verses of chapter 1. It is called the prologue to the Gospel of John. It is different than any other of the Gospels in that it gives you a very brief synopsis, you might say, or uh, it might be as an overture to an opera where you get a little bit of all of the things that are going to be presented in the opera, okay? This is a, a quick bird's eye view, you might say, of the Gospel of John. And it has a structural plan because there are two breaks in it that talk about the, uh, talk about John the Baptist. Now please don't get them confused. Alright. Um, you have John the Evangelist, the so-called man behind the gospel, but you also have John the Baptist, a very prominent person in chapter 1. In fact, the, on, the only person, you might say, in chapter 1. Uh, two different people, very important. John the Baptist was called by Jesus as probably the most important man born of a woman. Okay, well, we all were born of a woman in one form or another, but that was a special um, blessing, you might say, or compliment, but the word compliment isn't quite sufficient, uh, of John the Baptist by Jesus. The whole idea here is John the Baptist is sort of the last, of, you might say, of the old, Testament prophets as well as the first of the New Testament prophets or disciples of Jesus. Okay. The first two verses of this gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, or with God, and the Word was God. This was the beginning with God. Now, what does it mean by that? Let me have you do a little uh, third grade elementary school trick. I want each of you to think about the person you most love. Whether that person be alive or deceased is not important, but the person that you love the most, I'm not talking about God, I'm talking about a human being, all right? Now, be careful, uh, husbands and wives, you know. Okay. I've had a few arguments uh, created by this in the past, so, all right. Now, at the count of three, I want you to shout out that name. Okay. Now, there'll be so much noise in here that, you know, not everybody's going to hear it. Okay? But it's important. 
One, two, three. Now, what did it take for you to do that, besides my urging? It took part of your breath. It took part of your mind. And because, hopefully, it was the person that you loved the most, it took part of your heart, did it not? That is what created Jesus, the human Jesus, okay? God the Father's infinite love created him by the Word. All right? That's what this means. The Word is also defined as Wisdom and understanding. If you think about it, the book of Genesis says in its opening remarks, in the beginning, God created light. Well, it wasn't until the third day that he created the sun and the moon. So, what was the light that he created in the first day? It was understanding and wisdom. And from that, we get the whole concept of Jesus Christ, the whole idea of Christ, as it shows here. But let's go back to this. In the beginning was the Word. So, we have to understand this Word is all-inclusive of God's understanding and God's wisdom. That is what is in the beginning. And that is what eventually created Jesus Christ. It was part of the Father himself in issuing this Word just as you did when you yelled out the name of the person that you loved the most. So that is what we want you to understand. A lot of people gloss right over this whole uh, prologue because it is not an easy thing to understand. But it's important to our understanding of the Gospel of John. And if you don't get it, then you're going to be losing out. If you're skipping over the the difficult things just to consume the easier things, you're missing a great deal. We're getting to that, yes. Yes, yes, yes. But it's down a few... Uh, verses, okay? It says, this was the beginning with God. Now, remember, the Trinity cannot be separated. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cannot be separated. Whatever the Father did, the Son and the Holy Spirit were involved. Whatever the Son did, the Holy Spirit and the Father were involved, etc., One time somebody called me on the phone and said, 
My priest just said that the Holy Spirit and God was on that cross with Jesus. Well, I said, and, he, and this person said, and I said, no, that wasn't correct. And he said, no, and so forth and so on. I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's only one God. And whatever that one God does, even though there are three persons within that God, the one God is still there. So what your priest said was that, yes, Jesus was the only visible part of God on the cross. But the Father and the Holy Spirit were also there. Because they cannot be divided. Is that clear to everyone? You understand? Anybody have a problem with that? Okay. So my caller on the phone said, "Well, all right, I'll All right, let's go on to verse three. Through him, all things came to be. And apart from him, now we're talking about the word or Jesus, okay? And apart from him, there came not a single thing of all that came to be. In other words, everything that was created was created through and with Jesus and for Jesus. In him was life, and this life was the light of human beings. Alright? But Jesus had divine life. He always had divine life. He was always part of God. He always existed, and he also always had <coughs> the responsibility of becoming the human Jesus. But that did not take place until he was conceived, conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mother. Alright? Uh, that is called the hypostatic union. That is the union of the second person of the Trinity with a human body. Hypostatic union. Okay. The hypostatic union did not manifest itself until the conception of Jesus within the womb of the Virgin Mother through the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, Jesus, or the second person of the Blessed Trinity, always had that responsibility to take place at a future date. And the light shines on in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, before light was created in the book of Genesis on the third day, the idea of God and the idea of Jesus and the idea of wisdom and understanding existed. It had to have existed. Because creation could not happen without God. You know, forget the, the idea of the Big Bang Theory. God still had to 
set that big bang off, or someone had to, and, uh, you know, so many people think, well, that's where everything began. No, no, no. Everything began long before that. Now, we have a break in, it, in this uh, reading here. It says, there came a man sent by God whose name was John. Now, we're talking about John the Baptist. This one came as a witness to the light so that through him all people might come to believe. And this is the mission, you might say, of John the Baptist. He came as one pointing to Jesus as greater than himself. One pointing to Jesus as the Lamb of God, which was not a phrase used in the Old Testament. But we'll explain how that works into the whole theory uh, and the whole mission of Christ later on. This one, that is John the Baptist, came as a witness to the light, so that through him all people might come to believe. Now, let's go back a little bit. Later on, Jesus tells us in one of the synoptic synoptic Gospels that Jesus was the fulfillment of the legend of Elijah. Remember back in the Old Testament, back in the book of Samuel and book of first book of Kings, I believe it is, Elijah the prophet was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, in a fiery chariot, chariot, etc. It was always believed and became a legend, not history, but a legend in the history of the Jewish people that Elijah had to return to earth in order to die and then go back to heaven. Okay. As that legend developed, it didn't get into Jewish writing until the prophet of Malachi. Okay. But even in today, in Orthodox Jewish circles, at a Seder service or at a major religious celebration of any kind, a special table setting and chair is left available for Elijah to return. And it is thought that whoever uh, Elijah visits on his return will go directly to heaven. This is all just legend or speculation within Jewish understanding and Jewish history. Not part of their religion uh, exactly, but, you know, in the Jewish circles, certain things that are observed over and over and over eventually become religious, religious observances, even though that's not why they were intended or originally intended. Okay. Jesus says that John the Baptist actually is the fulfillment of that legend by pointing to Jesus as being the light of of the world, all right? The new light, you might say, to the world. And 
the writer here injects this more or less to let people know that that light that was originally given to us back in verses 1 through uh, 4 has now come to be. says, the true light that enlightens every person was coming into the world. The true light, Christ himself. Uh, Not there yet, according to this order, but it will be. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. In other words, he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. When it says the, the, the world was made through him, remember, the world was made by God. God and Jesus are still one God. He came unto his own, but his own people did not accept him. He came as part of the promise made by God to the Jewish people. And that promise was made way back uh, at the time of Moses. Okay. I want to read a very brief passage from the book of Deuteronomy, which is in reference to this promise. Okay. This is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 18. And this is Moses speaking to his people towards the end of his life. Okay. Says, a prophet like me, Moses, will the Lord your God raise up for you from among your own kin? To him you shall listen. This is exactly what you requested of the Lord your God. At Horeb, on the day of the assembly, he's going all the way back to the time of Sinai, when, you know, the mountains had smoke and fire and all of that stuff, and Moses goes up there, and it frightens the people out of their wits. And they don't want anything to do with that. They want Moses to be their in-between guy, okay? Go-to guy, as they would say today. Let us not hear again the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, lest we die. And the Lord said to me, again, Moses, this was like you from among, I'm sorry, uh, this was well said, I will raise up from them a poet, a prophet, a prophet like you from among their uh, kinsmen, and will put my words into his mouth, and he shall tell them all that I command him. If any man will not listen to my words which he speaks in my name, I myself will make him answer for it. But if a prophet, pres- well, I won't go on anyways. This is the idea that God put into their mind and was recited by Moses that became the nucleus of the whole concept of the Messiah. And down through the ages, 
this idea of a prophet like Moses was always in the back of the mind of the Jewish people. But over a period of time, particularly after they were conquered by the Babylonians and then uh, they were under the dominations of the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and now the Romans at Jesus' time, uh, that took on a whole different meaning. And the prophet like Moses turned out to be more of a uh, knight on a shining bright white horse and shining armor, uh, something like King David, who would, you know, slay all of the Romans, and, you know, the whole idea got changed around. That's not what God had in mind. Uh, the Messiah was not going to be somebody like David, but a babe in swaddling clothes. Steve? Well, as I said, they never did get the message. The whole idea is God worked with them for 2,000 years. And they kept insisting that they wanted things their way. And there are incidents after incident throughout the Old Testament that says we want something different. We are here with... Well, uh, we don't know the day or the hour. So, always be careful. Be prepared. Alright? Now, Howard, this is getting back to your question. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came unto his own, but his own people did not accept him. Because they wanted something different. Their expectation was something different. And it certainly wasn't a babe in swaddling clothes or later on an itinerant preacher that probably had dirty feet and, you know, didn't smell that great. But because they didn't listen to what he said and connect it with what they knew was why they never got the message. Okay. But all those who did accept him, he gave them the power to become children of God. Those, that is, who believe in his name. Now, name is very important here. Be careful. The word name means more than just the word of Jesus or what a person is called. Throughout the New Testament, and to some degree in the Old Testament, Name means the entire person, what he or she stands for, and who or she is. Okay, so if you put that meaning or understanding into this, you'll get a different uh, perspective. Okay, I'm reading the same thing again. He gave them the power to become children of God. In other words, remember, (coughs) pardon me. The Jewish people were called the chosen people. That term was totally misunderstood. 
the word chosen, what were they chosen for? It wasn't that they were so great in themselves, because they weren't. They were chosen for a reason. And they never got that message to accept that, and they finally uh, went off the track, you might say. And so the chosen people now become the children or the people of God. And we, those people, as it says right here, who accept him and believe in his name, that is, believe in the entire person of Jesus, are now the people of God. Who were born uh, not of blood, nor of the desire of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of faith in God. And the word became flesh. This is the whole idea of God fulfilling, you might say, the promise that he made back to Moses, way back at that time, of bringing somebody that will be not only like Moses, but far greater than Moses, into uh, existence to lead not only the Jewish people, but all mankind back in this path, this path here, to the Father, to lead them all back to the Father. And the Word became flesh and pitched his tent. Now, the word tent in this case doesn't necessarily mean a camping tent. Okay, what it means is the same as the word tabernacle or the holy of holies in the Jewish temple. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of a father, the fullness of grace and truth. And this is the whole idea of John the apostle, uh, yes, John the apostle, the evangelist, telling these people within this community of love that he established in or near Ephesus of the greatness of God and what he has done through Jesus Christ. And the glory that is to be seen by believing in him. Now, glory is not something you know, that we would see with your eyes, you see it with your mind and your heart. John bore witness to him. John the Evangelist bore witness, I mean, yeah, John the Baptist bore witness to him and cried out saying, this is he whom I spoke. The one who comes after me ranks before me because he existed before me. Now, many people say, well, sure, John the Baptist knew Jesus. They were cousins, right? No. We are not sure that they were cousins. There was probably some distant relationship. But remember, John the Baptist's mother was Elizabeth, and she was quite on in age, if you remember the story. And Jesus' mother was very young. 
So there was a major age difference between them. All right. It was very unlikely that they, that is, John the Baptist and Jesus knew each other or played baseball, you know, when they were kids together or anything like that. They lived in different parts of Israel and probably saw each other remotely uh, a few times throughout their life, but that was it. Okay. So, the idea of knowing was a spiritual knowing on the part of John the Baptist through his prayer, through his relationship with God, and through the mission that God gave him uh, to be the person to point to Jesus from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Okay. And this idea of the one who comes after me ranks before me because he existed before me. John the Baptist probably didn't really fully understand what he was saying, but it came out of him because it came out uh, from the spirit within him. Now, you might think that, eh, that uh, sounds a little bit, eh. Well, when you are, when you are very close to the spirit of God, and you are fulfilling your mission, many times the spirit will act through you, and when you stop to realize it, you'll wonder, wow, where did that come from? And I have seen that through myself many times in teaching. People will ask me questions and I'll think, gee, I've never been asked that question before. I've never thought about it. Lord, help me. And something will come out and I'll really scratch my head and say, where did that come from? And it can only have come from the fact that God is working through me. Now, I'm not polishing my halo up there, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, anyone can have that experience if he or she is working uh, in promoting the works of God. Uh, as God would want him to, or her to. Because from his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. For while the law was given through Moses, this grace and truth came about through Jesus Christ. This is the people writing this, looking at the whole life of Christ, not just the beginning. All right. This whole prologue is sort of a quick synopsis of, you might say, the whole gospel. Right. <coughs> no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, who has revealed him to all mankind. Jesus himself 
took the place of the whole idea of what the Jewish people were supposed to be. And as we've said before when we studied Galatians and Romans, the Jewish nation was supposed to take the word of God beginning way back with the Ten Commandments, with the promises made even before that to Abraham, and develop this nation that would be a light to other nations. They would take and be the only people who worship the one true God, as far as we know. And through that, would develop a community of love, of mutual love of each other, that would then radiate to all the other nations, who hopefully then would take that upon themselves. Unfortunately, the Jewish people didn't do that. Instead, they became an exclusive community that would not go out and reach to other people. And therefore, this was important. And therefore, Jesus, or rather God the Father, had to send Jesus not only to be the Lamb of God, to be the person to uh, reconcile the sinful mankind with the divine God, but had to be that light that would put other people on fire so that we would radiate as a community, a love community, out to other people. Boy, could we use that right now with all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East. Um, and that's where evangelization comes in. The whole idea is that we cannot sit here and keep our religion close to the vest. We have to express ourselves out to others and show ourselves out to others through love, through generosity, through forgiveness, so many other of the virtues, the good virtues, okay? So that we became become a light to the nations. That is when then we pick up the mission of Christ and carry it on. Steve? Yes. Yes. The Gospels, the Gospels and the letters and all of the writings in the book of the Bible are inspired writings. Okay? That means that instead of you whispering to your neighbor and that person whispering to the next neighbor, etc. It is the Holy Spirit who is the single whisperer. Okay, you might say. And all of it is accurate, but it is written in human terms. And so you've got to be careful in interpreting that. Because not all interpretations or not everybody's interpretation can be accurate. And remember that the Gospels were written in ancient Greek and translations can leave out something. 
particularly when they're talking about God, they will almost always use the plural. And a lot of people think, well, that's because they knew about the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not the case. The plural form in reference to God is uh, just a mark of respect that God is all things. And therefore, the plural is in reference to all things. And therefore, you have the, the one word that comes to mind is you'll have the word peoples. You'll see the word peoples, uh, and you thought, well, that, that's bad grammar. That's bad English. Well, yes and no. It is a direct translation. And so you have those little quirky things here. Uh, the word name, again, is something that has more than a single meaning. There are other words in the Old Testament and to some degree in the New Testament that have far more meaning than we put into those words. Uh, you have face. And for example, in Psalm 27, uh, it says, Seek his face, meaning God, the Father. Well, the Father is pure spirit. He has no face in the way we think of it. All right? But that's not what the word means in that case. It means, face means presence. Seek his presence. Spiritual presence, of course. You have other words, such as hand and arm. Hand is power. Arm is strength. So you have those kinds of extended meanings. I don't want to say double meanings, but extended meanings. All right. And so you have to kind of know that to really understand what the Gospels uh, and all of the Old Testament is saying. And that's why you, when you hear people say, oh, I'm going to read the Bible from page one right through to the end, I say, well, good luck, Charlie. <laughs> because to do so is meaningless. By the time you get up to Leviticus or Numbers, you're going to be bored to death. You have to take certain things first. And for us today, if anyone says, I want to start reading the Bible, where should I start? I would say start with the Gospel of Matthew. It's probably the clearest and the most simple of Gospels to understand, and it's written in such a way that it is easy for the individual not only to read it, but then go back when Matthew talks about, uh, and he often says, uh, this was done to fulfill what so-and-so said in the Old Testament. Well, then what you do is you go back to the Old Testament where so-and-so said that and read what the circumstances were. Just like I did here uh, when I read out of Deuteronomy what Moses said, okay? But you have to be very careful because the Old Testament was written over a period of a thousand years and things had a way of changing. And the Old Testament was not written as sacred scripture. It was written as history. Sacred scripture came in as things were added and as meaning and interpretations were added. 
But that wasn't the original intent in the beginning. So, in the beginning, the oldest books, if you, if people who came later didn't like that, well, they'd go back and change it. You know, to something they liked. So you gotta be a little careful when uh, those things are read. And that's why commentaries, uh, and I have several of them, On the Gospel of John, here's an excellent commentary. It goes into a lot more detail, and I'm sure you wouldn't want to study this in ten weeks. Uh, but it is an excellent uh, reference book. Okay, and there are plenty of plenty of these available. So, uh, yes, Chet. Uh, well, all right, just Chet. <laughs> just voiced his opinion as to what he thought Luke said uh, how can these gospels that are so well written by uneducated people well the thing is the uneducated people didn't write them you see as I've just said I feel that John the evangelist did not sit down and write this gospel that it was written by a community of people that John taught. And, for example, if I asked all of you people to write a gospel about what I said today in here, what would you call it? Be be careful, be careful. (laughs) All right, see, Uh, that's the point. Sure, by all means. And uh, that is where we believe <coughs> that Matthew and Luke got their infancy stories from. After all, they were probably written 50, 60 years after Jesus was born. Who else could have told them that? So it had to be the Blessed Mother. Yeah, that's not unusual. Um and that's what we really expect, Dick. Just a quick point. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were well-educated men. Well. A lawyer. They weren't common people who did Had a right. doctor and a lawyer and a tax collector. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Monday night, Yes. Because they believe in educating both their sons and daughters. Yes. But in Rome, it was only 15%. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think that that was part of God's plan as well. Uh, Rita just said that Father Tim, in his lecture Monday uh, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, indicated that the literacy. Illiteracy uh, of the Jewish people was very high, and that's true, uh, and it's still true today. You very seldom see any poorly educated Jewish people today, um, and that's because they put a great emphasis on teaching and study, etc. Okay, um, 
but that doesn't change the what I've said about being very careful because it is the translation and the use of certain words at you know 2,000 years ago has changed. Even look in our own language today. Words change their meaning significantly over a period of time. Uh, by the way, have any of you bought any buggy whips lately? Yeah. Totally gone out of style. I used to record my lectures on audio tapes. You can't even buy audio tapes today because they don't exist. They're not in use. So see how things change over a period of time. You've got to be very careful. All right. We're nearing the end. Yes, let them. Time them. Uh huh. Right. Um, on the back of your back of your handout today is an illustration of how the books of the Bible are put together. Obviously, it doesn't go into the details. But the books of the Bible are put together and somewhat of their relationship to each other as well as uh, to the Old Testament to the New Testament. Okay. The Old Testament divided into four parts. The New Testament is also divided into four parts. The Old Testament talks about God's plan of salvation as it was developed in the original uh, part by God himself, but it was all historical, uh, it was all physical, uh, and it had, uh, well, it was, you might say, necessary leading up to the event of Jesus Christ. The New Testament is all about the event of Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, and what that meant, and what it leads to, and that is salvation or eternal life. So there is a continuity, there is a relationship throughout all of the Bible. Uh, but it is not the easiest thing to, as I said, start at page one and go through and see that. Okay. All right. I think it's time we have to end. Any other important burning questions that we need to get answered? I hope you've gotten something out of this class. And before we close, I want to just say that registration, can you three or four girls help up here? Registration will be here at the front desk and on your registration form. Please, make sure you put your zip code, your mailing zip code on there. Okay. You'd be surprised how many times I have to look that up. Okay. All right. Let's end with a prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together.
We ask that you bless us and continue to bless us with your Holy Spirit and the grace and strength to open our minds and our hearts as we delve into the Gospel of John. Help us to set aside preconceived notions and be flexible enough to accept new ideas and new concepts. But may it always be for your honor and glory. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name.